Sign up to Rough Trade Club, the ultimate subscription for vinyl enthusiasts. Get money off online and in store and access to sold out events and discounts at Rough Trade East, Rough Trade West, Bristol, Liverpool and all over the UK. Join Rough Trade Club plus new music to receive an exclusive variant of their album of the month every month. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and when you use the voucher code club101pod, you'll get a third off your first three months. That's at roughtrade.com slash club and you can get a third off your first three months by using the voucher code club101pod. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify. Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to 101 Part-Time Jobs Podcast. I'm Giles Bidder, and I speak to bands and musicians about what they've done between making records and going on tour. I want to find out what jobs they worked before and during the band, through the good times and the complicated. Dan Haggis, drummer of the Wombats, is on today's episode. Since 2003, they've been widely known as indie pop heroes. I don't think I know anyone who hasn't got their shoes sticky on a dance floor to this band. And their new album, Fix Yourself, Not The World, is coming out on the 7th of January. The new single, Everything I Love Is Going To Die, is out now. That is the tune playing beneath this. Thank you for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. We're well into the 130s of this podcast. Thank you for subscribing. Keep on coming back. If this is your first time, welcome. Feel free to scroll down and see some of the other amazing guests I've had on here. 
over the years. East London's signature brew have been brewing beers with bands since 2011. They've made beers with Hot Chip, with Mastodon, Sports Team, Idols, just to name a few. If you go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, you can make an order and using the voucher code 101podcast, all capitals, you can get 10% off those beers being delivered directly to your door. Satie Socks in Brighton have a new range of seriously soft socks made from organic cotton in the Ukraine and delivered in sustainable packaging. You can get 10% off your order at satysocks.com. That's S-E-I-T-Y socks.com with 10% of all the profits going to Gig Buddies who are enabling people with learning difficulties to fully enjoy their communities through attending live music events. That's something that I and all of us can get behind. Here is Dan Haggis from The Wombats on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Go well. Musicians in general just kind of go into music with most of their brain thinking, well, I'll never really make a living out of this. And most of your family as well kind of thinks the same thing. And they're like, oh, it's nice. He, you know, he loves playing the drums and being in bands. And oh, yeah, Battle of the Bands here and a few little gigs here. And OK, that's great. But what's, you know, what are you really going to do with your life? And then I guess because of that, I I went to Lipper um, when I was 18 um, and I did a year of like this kind of crash course. And whilst I was doing that, um, I was working in a restaurant uh, part time called 60 Hope Street in Liverpool, um, in like the downstairs bit. And, um, you know, like all students do, you just get a little part-time job, don't you, to pay for your beers, basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I was also like, from about the age of 16, I'd been teaching drums on a Saturday morning, and then it had a couple of pupils in the week, um, which I think most, you know, lots of musicians do that, because it's, A, you're getting to use what you've learned, passing on your enthusiasm to other people, and Mm kind of helps you, like, stay on top of your own instruments as well, Um, and you get a bit of money for it. So um, You must get quite good at organising yourself as well, right? I suppose you're a little auto, you know, you're a little entrepreneur, kind of starting your own teaching business, but um, it's obviously really, really chilled. I mean, like, it was, I played drums in a little orchestra, um, and like a local community thing. And then there were loads of kids who almost just needed babysitting and they just had to do different instruments. And I ended up teaching the kids, which honestly, Saturday mornings from like nine till midday with between six and nine-year-olds pretty much just going hell for leather on drums was was honestly some of my hangovers were like so bad so how were they set up in the room like how did they have sort of the mini drum kits well so I had to I, I actually changed the system because um it just it was too much and I really wanted like some of the kids were really good um and some of them still play drums now which is awesome yeah, um but like the at the time they were like yeah yeah right so you've got your drum kit and you just like get them on do a couple of minutes with them whilst the others like play or you know keep to themselves and then you just rotate it like that because they can't concentrate for too long i was like right okay so i tried it for a bit but whilst i was trying to teach one of them obviously it's the noisiest instrument in the world and the others would all be going nuts and I couldn't really keep any of them focused um and then I'd, I'd try and get them all doing like more sort of 
you know, tribal percussion almost all together, like banging on different parts of the drums and stuff. And then after a while, I was like, honestly, this is fine, but I'm just babysitting and they're making loads of noise and having fun. But I really want to try and teach them some beats. So then I started doing 10 minute slots and then 15 for some of them. And they would be in the creche, you know, the whole time. And then they would just come out to me for their little slot. And it worked so much better. And, And like some of the kids got really, really good. And the difference, you know, between doing that one-to-one thing was mm. was just night and day. Um, I played in a cover band as well where we'd play like weddings and people's parties and stuff, doing all like classic rock things. As I'm sure you know, you get you get paid uh, to do covers yeah. normally. Quite, like Quite, quite but, handsomely. Yeah, compared to like what you get for doing original stuff. Um, so for years I was doing, um, you know, Eric Clapton and the Beatles and Rolling Stones and Queen and all that sort of stuff, which is amazing again for like learning your craft and being on stage and, you know, singing whilst you play and all the rest of it and performing. Um, but after a while, like my, my burning desire from a young age was always just like making original music and being in mm. a band in that, on that side of things. Um, but yeah, there was loads of juggling around. Like I then, well, I dropped out of uni actually. I then went to do French, Spanish and music at Liverpool uni Again, wow. as a kind of like, you know, fallback plan. Because um, I love languages and I was like, well, I can do a bit of everything on this course, which is awesome. And had a really good drum teacher there um, and got good at French. But then instead of doing the year abroad, I just dropped out. And then I got a part-time job as a billing clerk at a solicitor's firm. Um, that, was, that wasn't my favourite period of time. What does a billing clerk do? Basically, like you're the the bottom level of like checking that what the solicitors have put into their files has been billed correctly. So you're basically like checking on the computer system um, for any, you know, errors basically in what they've done and what's on the screen, because then you're the final thing before it gets sent off to actually get paid. And so regular, you know, you'd have this huge pile of files on the desk in the morning and you just work your way through them and loads of them you wouldn't, you, you might find like one six minute thing that they'd forgotten to put in. So you'd add that and then you'd do finished and you'd just go on and on and on. And it was, <clears throat> it was pretty boring to be honest. Um, it's funny looking back on that stuff because, you know, talking about it now, it's, you know, it's, it's a good story, isn't it? It's a good tale. I, I wonder at the time if it was, you know, was it stressful? Was it like, was it a bit of a, you know, like a mare? Basically, I moved back home because I didn't have any money for rent. Um, and then I got this little part-time job that kind of kept me going. And by this point, you know, the Wombats, we'd had our first play on like Rob the Bank at midnight on Radio 1. And so in our minds, we were like, we've made it. This is it. It's the, You know, everything's going to fall into place now. But it took another um, 18 months after that, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, for that, for that whole time, it was kind of... Um, I just needed to do whatever to get enough money to be able to live. It was it was fine. It was just like, you know, the ha- I'd play, we'd go and do a gig in like Glasgow one night and I'd drive us there and then drive back, get back at four in the morning and then I'd have to get up at half seven to like have my breakfast and cycle to this office and then do a day there. And then, but I'd still be in that like, I'm in a band, you know, buzzing mindset of like, oh, that was so fun. And then the contrast to like how dull that felt. And, and, and how it just wasn't something that I wanted to do with my life. Um, but in a way, um, I remember my dad at the time, he was like, well, this, this is, it's so good that you're doing this because it, it shows you what you don't want to do and why you really want that to work. And if that doesn't work, then you really need to like 
finish your degree or whatever. And um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember one time I was in that office doing stuff and Murph called me up um, and he was still studying at Lipper and he was like, uh, how's work going? I was like, well, pretty shit. And he was like, how do you fancy going to China? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we've been offered to do a gig in Beijing and Shanghai. I was like, oh my God. And again, just that kind of like, in, you know, screaming inside, but like in this really... Um, sort of sedentary office and and just looking around being like what's going on this is so cool there's so much power in that i mean one thing that i i just i think about every day when 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 look at bands or artists so that people like yourself have you know made your own career you know what i mean You, you you haven't put put your application somewhere and someone else has hired you and someone else calls the shots no i mean you've created your own career yeah it's um but that's the thing, because you've only got yourself to either blame in a way or to push yourself mm-hmm. forward. So we will honestly think like we were so lucky that all three of us were on this kind of mission, you know, and we were all on the same page. And it was like, we believe in this enough. You know, it just felt like something was really working and we'd found like a sound that was exciting us all. And for all three of us to be on that same page and willing to kind of commit to dropping out of uni or you know after we after they finished Lipper like Todd stayed over in Liverpool rather than go back to Norway um and you know tried to make it um and and again we were sleeping on promoters floors and um driving ourselves all around the place as as all young bands do um and and some bands do that for their whole you know their whole career kind of thing and and it's I mean it's so much fun and the social aspect of it and everything you know for us it was kind of like well we love hanging out we love making music together. We love performing and we love like random little adventures to go and play in like Scunthorpe on a Wednesday night to 10 people, you know, and like laughing our heads off on the way home and whatever, you know, just random stuff and getting like bottles thrown at you on stage and like all the random people you meet at these little dodgy bars around the country. Um, you know, and it's an excuse for all of that. So the making it in inverted commas was always like, a distant dream that I guess, especially back then before streaming, there was no real way to get your music out there, you know? So for us, it was like, well, until the gatekeepers let us in, we're stuck outside, (laughs) you know? Um, And we're just going to sell our demos for like 50p at the gigs. I I, I was just thinking, you know, how, how much of a special relationship that is, you know, with bands who have even more than three people, but having three people on the same page, that's a very rare, that very special thing. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely like a family. Um, or it need, you know, I think bands end up being like a family. Um, and either you you all kind of get on and tolerate each other and learn to understand each other's like pluses and minuses, or some bands end up obviously just imploding. Um, as to some families, you know, it's that kind of thing where if two people really rub them rub each other up the wrong way it's going to be hard for them to like have a long career, um, which is what we see, you know, you see it all the time, don't you? It's like, oh yeah, what happened to that band? Um, I mean, to be honest, people yeah. probably still think that about us anyway. They think like, what happened to that band? <laughs> it's so funny that uh, it's all, it's so much perception, isn't it? Yeah, I love, honestly, I've had people before who are like, oh yeah, what, what band are you at? The one Wombats? Oh yeah, I remember them, like Moon to New York and all that. Like, yeah, I love that album. So you guys, what are you doing now? It's like, oh yeah, just <laughs> putting out our fifth album, you know, um, been touring the world for like the last 12 years. And they're like, no way. Because, you know, marketing doesn't reach everyone. And a lot of people yeah. are really into music when they're younger and then kind of just don't really pay attention to stuff anymore. So it's, 
anyway, it's yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the sort of gatekeepers thing earlier, and I, you know, and that, I, I, I do really enjoy that discussion because you know whether it's real, whether it's a myth, where whether it, you know, it is what it is, or you make your own luck and all that kind of you know that conversation mm-hmm. you talk about like your, your long career you've had the same members um you know it seems like a, a very like wholesome you know wholesome successful career you know the idea of gatekeepers ha- has that played much in, in you know has that been on your mind that the whole time is it more a case of doing your own thing and other people come to towards you yeah no it's interesting um i think when we when we started um you know, when you're students and you're not in a rush, well, we were never really in a rush. Um, and we were just like making music, making songs, doing gigs. And I, I do think there is a sort of perception of like, there are kind, when I say gatekeepers, you know, it's obviously like those A&R people mm-hmm. at record labels or whatever, um, who are the ones or publishing companies who are the ones who are going to kind of take it up to the next level. Um, and, or to to yeah open the gates to you to like sign you and help you help you make an album and do all that stuff but you don't really even though we went to like a music school you don't really know exactly what that entails and it does feel like a lottery we were like ah oh, you know sod worrying about that we had a few disappointments uh, you know after the first like year and a half maybe we just did it ourselves and all the rest of it then we got a manager and then we did get a few people come into like a London gig or, um, you know, we had like a, an, a a scout from a publishing company who came to a rehearsal in my dad's lounge where we practiced and sat at the kitchen table and suggested we changed our band name and, um, you know, oh, who's going to want to listen to songs about caravans in Wales and, you know, comments like that. And then there was... Um, and then there's a, you know, we had someone else come in and each gig you do, I feel like you'd get really excited about it. And then afterwards it would be, you wouldn't really hear anything for ages and we'd be asking our manager like, well, what, what's going on? What did they say? Are we, is it happening? And would be like, well, I don't know that we haven't heard anything back and they're passing. And then it all, then it would be like, oh, they're passing or then, you know, so after a while, I think we just got less and less bothered about that side of it. And we were like, oh, well, you know, we're just going to do this on our own. And we just built up a fan base, basically. We just did as many gigs as we could. Um, and we were probably doing like three to four gigs a week. Um, and we got to the point where we were doing like residencies in Liverpool. And, you know, we we sold out like the Carling Academy, which was a thousand people. And we were unsigned. And I think that was the moment when the gatekeepers suddenly went like, hang on a minute, who the hell's this Liverpool band? Like playing to a thousand people when we haven't, you know, that's not normal. We're supposed to be the ones that make people do that. Um, yeah, and then yeah. came up. And I think also like the name and stuff as well. I think they just didn't, I don't know. I just don't think people knew where to put us. Whereas we just, we were just doing what we were doing and we knew who we were and didn't care. And I think after a while, it just took a bit of time for some other labels and stuff to like kind of get on board and go, all right, yeah, sorry. We re- you know, we get this now. And like, they'd come and see us live a bunch of times. And then we started getting offers and you know, the rest is history. But um took a long old time and toured the bass player he was in another band and they'd been to like just before us like they they were a bit further along the curve than we were and they had some people coming down and you know all the rest of it and they had disappointments so he was definitely even more jaded by that by the time we were doing it looking at it in in 2021 fix yourself not the world coming out next year your fifth album and and those sort of five albums have been spread out quite nicely 
I mean, and, and, and think about that, you know, what you've just been saying there. I wonder if it's provided you, you know, you've provided yourself that foundation of, you know, there are going to be ups and downs, but ultimately, do you feel like you know that you're in charge, that you're your own bosses when it comes to, when it comes to that? I think like, I mean, to go a little bit back to the, when we started without, you know, there was no streaming and stuff and it actually was like, go and burn a CD out on Par Street and, you know, sell it at gigs. And then MySpace and everything started moving and, you know, in the more like streaming direction. I feel like that gave bands a much easier in to the music industry. So now obviously you can go on AWOL or TuneCore or, you know, there's loads of different sites where bands can like, you can put your song on and it can be on Spotify within a few days almost, um, mm. you know. And so it definitely, it's kind of democratized it, but but obviously without any marketing and without a manager and stuff, it's you still, you've got an uphill battle um, to, to cut yeah. through everything. Because obviously now there's like, I can't remember the stats, like 60,000 songs a day get put online. <laughs> you know, it's some, I heard that the other day, it's something crazy like that because pe- everyone who makes music can just do it, um, which is amazing. And it is so like freeing to like, you know, still nowadays that, that feeling of a new song coming out. Um, it's, it's like you're finally, whether anyone listens to it or not, it's finally just out of your system. You know, that, that mm-hmm. therapeutic side of making music is kind of, it has 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 reached its pinnacle as it were you know well the pinnacle then would be when you're at a gig and everyone's singing the lyrics along with you that, yeah, that's when yeah, it that's yeah. when it really hits home but you know that that first moment of like oh it's out and other people can have a relationship with this song now it's not just stuck in my head at two in the morning going oh so you've changed with that but yeah yeah completely so we um we changed labels like after the third album and it's a very different setup now and it's so much more <clears throat> like transparent and it feels way more collaborative and within the it, team, within, you know, within you, you lot. Uh, no, no, just the, the record label we're with. We've, we've got the same manager from the early days. Um, we're just with a different label now. Um, right, so we, right. we were with Warners until the third album and now we're with AWOL. Yeah. Um, and it's just a different way of working altogether, to be honest. Um, it's so much more kind of like, um, you know, we make the album and then deliver it and like they license it and then say like, yeah, cool. Like what do you reckon? We've got all these ideas and there are just so many amazing people working there who just come up with all this, like, you know, all these cool ideas and how to, what they think, which, which song would work best for this, that and the next thing and videos and all the rest of it. So we've got a really good team of people helping with all that side of stuff. Um, but in terms of like the creative freedom and all the rest of it, as you said before, like it's very much kind of, it's nice feeling like you can just do what you want to do musically, which is great. And and to be honest, we've always done that. It's just that you need more, a lot more arguments had to happen on the second and well, mainly second album, but a little bit on the third album as well. But um, And what you were saying about, you know, being able to upload a track is it, it, funny how some bands call it a lottery. Uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but it makes me think of Brian Avon, who of course you're, you're, you're aware of. And, yeah. and when, you know, the first I heard of them was, um, and I later sort of worked at a pub with um, with with Ben's br- older brother. So I kind of got the story that way. Um, you know, they they uploaded one or one or two tracks as as teenagers, and you know, something worked. Something something happened. Yeah, amazing. And it, and those stories are absolutely wonderful, aren't they? Yeah, it's amazing because instead of that song landing straight on like an A and R man's desk, they land in everyone's you know on everyone's internet and like yeah people can kind of be the 
be the, be the judge of it almost. And <clears throat> obviously the trick is like the pe- people actually listening to it in the same way that actually getting an A&R guy to like listen to the songs um, when they've got so many sitting on the desk as well is also part of the battle. But um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's things have definitely changed, but I think it, it just comes back down to, you've just got to make good songs and good music um, mm-hmm. and play them well. And hopefully if you just keep doing that and keep knocking on those doors, uh, you'll get there eventually, and that was our that was our ethos early on. <laughs> how how have you you know personally been able to to go through these years? Because of, of course, not every week's going to be different. There, there's going to be better times and worse times. How have you personally been able to you know put yourself in a position where you're prepared for that and you can you can deal with that and you know you can work, you can write songs and make records with a good energy as as well as a you know a smart head on your shoulders. Well, I guess from the like you know, the, the business financial side or whatever, we've got a really good accountant um, and Colin Young uh, and he's, he's worked in the music industry for years. So he's been amazing at like um, just looking out, looking after us. For, obviously when you're young and you get your first advances and stuff, it's like, woohoo. But then you've mm. obviously <clears throat> you've got to, that's got to like, you've got to live like three people have to live on that for two to three years, potentially. So he's, that's terrifying, which is obviously, you know, a 23 year old has to go, Oh yeah. So I need to plan for the next three years with this amount of money. Right. Okay. So he just did all that. And he's always been so good at advising us on everything. So that side of things, honestly, we've just been so lucky that again, the the kind of the rainy days that you have when obviously with the pandemic and stuff, and um, we've just been so lucky that he's, he's always been like, you've got to keep this money back because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, Whereas if we'd have blown that all up the wall, we you know things would have been it would have been like well I can't pay my mortgage shit what are we gonna do, um, which yeah. I feel for so many bands out there who obviously will be in that situation, but we we were just we were really lucky on that side of things, and then on the creative side I feel like I don't know doing like myself and Todd uh, the bass player in the band we've got a side project called Sunship Balloon that we've been doing for the last like three or four years and we've we've always obviously with the wombats and outside we've always just been making music together and so it's really nice to have that outlet for for music and like during the lockdown during these lockdowns that we've all had um we were just sending ideas back and forth and some of them turned into like wombat songs and some of them didn't and then the ones that didn't you know it was like at least having another channel to funnel all that creative energy into um was is amazing and same i do like my own solo stuff as well that it doesn't matter to me whether anyone hears it or not it's just it just clears your brain like declutters it of all this stuff and i think if you're a you know songwriter creative musician whatever it's so important to have that kind of outlet um whatever that may be and so that and then when you come back to like the main project like obviously the wombats i think and Murph did the same. He did a side project. And like for us all to come back in a room and just be like, ah, you know, right, yeah. clean slate. Here we go. Um, it's so, it's so much, it's so, so much healthier, I think, to, to have that. And all three of us have been in, you know, when we started the band, I was in like a folk trio and in the cover band, as I said, Todd was in about five different bands. Murph was doing like his stuff and Wombats and, you know, and playing on different people's albums and stuff like that, that collaborative, like that energy that you have when you're younger, I think it's important as well to like keep that because it is, it should be fun, you know? And I think if you get some, maybe as well, you said that our albums are spaced out. Well, they are as well because we tour so much after an album and, you know, 
I think it's you want those songs to kind of like you don't want to force them out in a way. Like I think you know we could obviously be like right, come on, just write, 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 write next album and just keep that treadmill going. But I think it's nicer to like let life happen a little bit in between and have more to think like more to actually that you need to get out your system um and that's so interesting to hear because you know throughout reading all these books and magazines and everything we all these documentaries we've seen about bands is that almost that kind of cliche or maybe you, you maybe you feel like that's what you're supposed to do is to go ham blaze on fire um that's that's really lovely to hear yeah <clears throat> i mean we we did um live you know in terms of doing gigs we definitely blazed like mega hard the, the first few albums um you know because we it was just like we did not say we said yes to everything again probably from the fact that for the first four years of the band you know we didn't um we didn't ever get money for anything and we, we didn't we weren't signed so it was that kind of just listen you, we never know when that right person is going to be at the gig so we just need to do as many as we can and that ethos definitely has stayed with us to this day i think does that mean when you look back on each album you can really kind of there's like a visceral place that you can go to there's like an imagery of how you felt at the time and where you oh, were yeah. personally and, and and friends massively you know? yeah i mean that that is lit you've just you've just summed up what i love about music the most um whether it's music that I've been involved in making or music, you know, an album that I loved, each album, I don't know whether it's because the space that I feel like every song actually, um, almost more than each album, you know, it's like each song has its own little kind of, oh, do you remember when we made that? Like, you know, we all, Todd was so hungover, he was like lying on the floor and playing bass lying down and, you know, my dad kept coming in with cups of tea and, and you know, there's there's like very visual recollections that are associated with songs, and sometimes those memories will just pop up, like sometimes in the middle of a gig, almost. It's like, <laughs> which song was that? Where Todd was on the floor? I think that was around like Party in a Forest, um, or it was on the first album, um, or was it Lost in the Post? I can't remember. Oh, well, there's a lot of like partying back then because we, were, you know, we were students, and or was it my first wedding? Oh, I can't remember. Like. I suppose they do all like start, you know, I'd have to listen to the song, I think, to actually mm. to get those memories like properly nailed in. But isn't that funny how you could unlock something like that? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and like smells and like, but until you actually yeah. listen, it's looking at a photograph, you know, and you're like, oh, I can't remember who's in that photo, but you, you, you've you got a vague picture of it. I suppose, yeah. I suppose when you, yeah, albums like they, um they do somehow encapsulate like so many memories. Um, and like the second album was like just LA craziness with the label, like sending us to different producers and um, it was just mayhem. Um, and then the third album was like just being in Battersea with Mark Crew and like spending, yeah, week after week in there with windowless room um, in the, like just after summer. And it was boiling, like playing drums with my top off, like sweating in this not non, no air conditioning room. and Real glitter bug. Real glitter. <laughs> I was very glittery. Yeah. Um, should have been called shiny scouser. Uh, but yeah. It, and then, um, so yeah, but every, every album's got, or every recording session's got its own little things. And um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, it's so cool. That's what I love about it. Ember hot and icy cold. 
The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Fix yourself, not the world. M- maybe an impossible question. How do you think you're going to look back on it on in you know in, in two or three years or, or five? <laughs> um, I mean, it's going to be so interwoven with the pandemic, isn't it? Like for us anyway, because we made it during the pandemic. Um, well, we actually recorded it. There's never been an experience like it where Murph was over in LA in a studio with a guy and me and Todd were in lockdown in London, um, unable to do anything else than just be in the studio in our little bubble with Mark and, um, yeah. And his, and Mark's wife was there. Like she's an amazing chef. Um, and she was just like in the kitchen cause obviously there was nothing else to do. So she was like, Oh, well, you know, I'll just cook because nowhere was open. There were no restaurants open or anything, were there? So that is seriously handy to have a have a close friend who's a chef. Oh, it was amazing. It was so good. Um, so we'd have, you know, we just again little family vibe and um yeah. but yeah, so I would think most of it's gonna be um those memories will come back. But there's loads of when we quite a few of the songs were written before the pandemic struck. Um so there's loads of like got memories you know after you make a song we always do like a really rough mix and bounce it down and send it to ourselves and then like driving back from the studio in LA listening to it in the car really loud like driving down the freeway or whatever like those kind of memories there's a certain sunlight in LA like I don't know if you've been there but like palm trees like slightly hazy like blue skies and you know that kind of thing just driving down going like well music does take us to some of the most random places and you're (laughs) soundtracking it as well kind of working but also just like enjoying that this song that wasn't there this morning is now playing on your seat on your stereo being in LA I mean did that change your your sort of identity with yourself it probably does actually like slightly color the music in a different way yeah um would our if we'd have done our first album in LA rather than in Rockfield in uh, in Wales? I am a firm believer in that that the place you're in, the the people you're with, and you know the time of the year almost can you know it might be subtle changes, but I do think all of that gets absorbed somehow through you and through your mood and through everything into like the the choices that you make sonically. Um, mm. probably more sonically than the song because the song maybe well no it, it, I think every step of the way you know is just there's lots of little micro things that are going on to make obviously a song um, like so many thousands of little decisions you don't you're not even aware of most of the time um, so yeah that's I mean that's a big old someone needs to write an essay on that <laughs> you know that, my brain's going off now <laughs> With, with things that you know, do you, do you get involved with um with, with like the lyrics and you know when you when you're when you're sitting around in a room, how does that work with with you three and your producer? Um, yeah, so I mean, every song is a bit different, but there can be songs where it's like Murph comes to us with a pretty decent skeleton of a song, and we all start playing around it and add the flesh and maybe add a little top hat and tails and you know do all those little final finessing bits and add backing vocals and other bits and breaks and whatever. And then other songs where we just sit down and start like someone starts playing something and someone starts, you know, joining them and then the other person joins and then we've got a bit of like, oh, this this feels cool. What about this? And then, you know, it feels like we've got a bed of music and then 
that then goes off down it's kind of up the tree and um and but in general like lyrically it's it's pretty much 99.9% Murph um the odd line here and there you know might get thrown in or you might help steer something at times or but in general it's he's just so good with lyrics and and as the singer as well it's kind of you know he's got there's like a once the subject matters there um it's kind of like well say what you want to say because when you're singing it you know it's from you <laughs> um mm. so yeah we're, we're lucky in that respect that um we usually like even if we're doing a fully kind of here's a song idea um so like greek tragedy like me and Todd had pretty much all the music sent it over and then he just like wrote on top of it um we had some melodies and stuff but then when it came when he sang in the studio it was just like wow <laughs> like this story that he was going through and we knew what he was going through at the time, you know, all of a sudden that yeah. just like glued everything together. And, um, so it's, there's, um, there's lots of different ways that, um, the songs get made. Um, which is, it must be amazing to see. Cause, cause obviously, obviously the lyrics provide that kind of that, that story, um, which, you know, and that must be amazing to see in the studio and, you know, the way that the music can, you know, fits with that. I suppose that's the job, like when in a band as well, like if you've, um, you know, it's finding those moments and like bringing out those key lines and kind of as a band, like when you're arranging things around lyrics or whatever, there might be a line. It's like, oh, that line's so cool. Like we need to repeat that or like, you know, that let's let's bring out, the, let's accentuate the rhythm of that phrase or, you know, maybe we can use that somewhere else in the song or, you know, it's trying to, you try and think about what are the great bits that are already there and how can we kind of make them better and make the dynamics work so that, that really pops out more or um so it's 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 so fun like it's <clears throat> it's like doing a little jigsaw and when it when it does all finally come together at the end it's it's just the best feeling coming out of the studio you, you say you know you know doing your own solo stuff doing other other musical bits have there has there been anything else that has you know consumed your time whether it be like a hobby or or whether it be a, a sideline interest no apart from doing a bit of songwriting with some other artists um like and production that's i haven't haven't like i've been so fortunate that i haven't needed to actually get you know another job um because between the wombats and the other musical things that i do my time is pretty much taken up touch wood for the moment i haven't uh i haven't done anything else but i did i did finally um i'm pretty fluent at french actually so even though you know i was doing french at university and then i dropped out how I actually met my fiance was because I didn't want to lose my French. Um, and so I was like, right, I need to do conversation exchange. So I started meeting up with some French people in Liverpool and, you know, speak French for now, speak English for now. And then I ended up meeting my fiance through that. So in the same way that like music's led me to meet so many people, I knew that like languages is also, I mean, everything any human does leads you somewhere, doesn't it? Um, takes you on a little journey and um but I just like yeah the language thing for me is very very close to that music um kind of key opening way of like traveling and it you know it gives you more of a reason to travel and a and a and a communication tool to other people that you can then get to know people in a different way than you otherwise would I think totally so um, yeah Looking towards you know the, these these massive shows next spring, thinking about playing the O2 and how do you look at it? Is is there a lot of planning that goes into making each and every one of these shows as special as they can be? I mean, how how do you work within within your camp? So that side of things um, is definitely something that people don't 
probably think about or see as much. Um, we're we're fairly kind of I not hands on, but you know, we definitely have long discussions with like our lighting designer and tour manager and um, manager to try and come up with like you know whatever the most exciting. But obviously, we are restricted by budget and stuff, so it's kind of there's all these things where that being in a, you know being in a young band you don't really think about and realize and then you you are making decisions on like <clears throat> oh well you know if we if we bring these lights or have this screen it's going to add this much money to the budget and then we can't do this and then you know you've got to think about things often very kind of like pragmatically um mm. which i think we're we're, we're kind of good at um and you know and a lot of the time, to be honest, you've got to be you've got to be creative and think on your feet because you might have an idea in your head, um, but then the budget comes back and it's way too much. But you've got to try and think of a okay, how can we do this, but on a bit more of a shoestring? Because like when we go and tour America, we're playing much smaller venues than in the UK. Obviously, the O2, we've got a much like it's a much bigger room and a bigger budget and all the rest of it. Um, but because it's a one-off kind of massive show it's it's really expensive to put on whereas if you were doing like eight arena shows around the uk then you would even out the costs around everything so anyway you know it's all, all these kind of things that no one really wants to be thinking about but um but it's like did you ever watch that um uh, the movies that made us on netflix yes yeah. I, I just i mean i love films and series and stuff so much that's another massive passion um but the <clears throat> like seeing those things and it's so funny to hear that you know when you watch the films you just enjoy them don't you you just you're like wow this is awesome this is how it was always meant to be and then you watch those those um films that made us and the stories behind it and it's like wow that nearly didn't happen and wow the only reason that guy was in you know was in the film was because that guy got sick or was arrested for drugs you know there's loads yeah. of different stories aren't there and like you see all these like things where they're like oh yeah james cameron made like all the sides of that um of this tunnel from a film he'd done before aliens and terminator and he made it out of like cardboard um styrofoam no styrofoam food containers and painted it and it and it's like it looks really cool and he did it for four dollars and you're like you know that's just it's things like that where you just get really creative and you there are solutions there and it's just problem solving like you know obviously this is about jobs and stuff but a lot of music is about problem solving and obviously you've got the initial sparks of like the creativity for the songs and all the rest of it. But then when you're working with like producers and, and mixing as well, a lot of the time it's kind of, it is, it's very, it's, it, it can be more pragmatic and more kind of like, right, where are we keeping all these files? Right. You've got to make sure that that goes to there. And then we send this to that, you know, it's very like procedural almost. Um, That's a job in itself. Well, it is. Yeah. Um, right. And, you know, and some producers are really, hands on themselves with that some producers just want to do the creative side and they have someone else doing all that the, the sort yeah. of um organizing side but you know uh, my cousin's like a consultant at a company and whenever we talk about it it's so funny how often we go like oh yeah that's the same as in what you know when i do this because i feel like you feel like music's just so different to other industries but actually like it really isn't that different you know you're dealing with again, a team of people with different personalities trying to push forward for the same goal. And, and again, one thing I thought when you were, when we were going to be chatting was like every job you do, whether it's, you know, being a waiter in a restaurant or a billing clerk or teaching kids the drums, whatever it is, you learn different skills along the way from 
all those little things. And and again, it is that just all pushing together and being flexible and thinking on your feet. Like it's there's loads of the same skills and qualities needed basically in music, which again is why like any young people out there, like in bands, even if things don't work out, just I think music should be like compulsory for everyone in schools. Like I can't believe that we don't have more music, like more focus on music mm. and the arts in general. Like um, it's 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 just so daft to me, like knowing how beneficial it is for your mental health, but also for the yeah team building and pushing pulling together to like create something is just such a transferable skill across so many different sort of areas in life. That um, yeah. I love that. Thank you very much for rounding off this episode with a that's a, that's a narrative arc, I believe they call it. Dan. <laughs> and we're back to the start, yeah, <laughs> mate. Thank you, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course, thanks very much for having me. Well, looking forward to the album, and you know, looking forward to that O2 show. Yeah, but can't wait to get the album out. So there he is, Dan Haggis from the Wombats. Their new album, Fix Yourself, Not the World, due for release on 7th of January. And they're playing the O2 here in London on the 15th of April. Cheers for listening. See you next week. Here's Coxbarrow. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue-ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every bleeding minute I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz. And I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.